Thank you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Well, let's keep our hearts and our minds open. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 12 and verse 6, I think it is 12 and verse 6, it says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace, purified seven times. It's an interesting verse. Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of oath, purified seven times. Now, why would the words of the Lord have to be purified? The word of the Lord is pure, right? And uh, so what does that mean? When you look at it a lot, a lot deeper in the Hebrew, it says has more than one meaning. And it's like, okay, more than one meaning. Seven times. You know, in the Old Testament, Isaiah prophesied about um, a child that would, would be born, right? And uh, we knew that he was speaking of Jesus, right? A child, a counselor, a mighty God, a child would be born. And uh, when Jesus was born, that prophecy was fulfilled. However, when Isaiah prophesied, a child was born in his day and age, which exactly fulfilled that prophecy. But there was another level below that of the prophetic word, which would come to pass hundreds of years later when Jesus was born. And so there's not only one meaning. People have said, you know, oh, that just speaks of Israel. No, it doesn't. It speaks of Israel and the end time church and the millennium and many other things out into the universe and the ages to come. The words of the Lord are purified seven times. There are seven layers of understanding, which also represents seven church or ages. And so we need to be aware of that. We need to understand that or we can become confused. And um, so we're going to continue tonight on we're on a journey from Egypt to the promised land. You've got to lo locate yourself. Where are you on this journey? All right, you're born again, so you got out of Egypt. All right, Passover. You got into the wilderness, right? Sinai, baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've got that far, right? Baptized in the cloud. Have you got that far? Okay. You get through that wilderness to the edge of the promised land, and a new day, a new experience, a new level just lays ahead of us being baptized. We see, we Pentecostals always thought, oh, baptized in water, born again, baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit, and we've got it all. No, you don't. There's another phase left for us. God says, I want to take you on to Zion. That's a hovel, you know, a place where the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the third level not Pentecost, but the Feast of Tabernacles. Not Passover, Feast of Passover, but the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's a whole different world, a whole different level 
where God wants to take us to and God wants us to walk in. And so that place is an open heaven. And so we're going there. You know, they came through the wilderness and they got right to the edge of the promised land. They actually could see it, the promised land, place of Kadesh Barnea. They got right to the end of the promised land. And of course, they sent the spies out and 10 came back with the wrong message. He said, we can't do it. Only the two, Joshua and Caleb said, we are well able to do this. They said, but there are giants in the land. God is saying, you a giant, stand up. He said, they're real like grasshoppers in their sight. Well, the further they'll fall. That was their attitude. And so a lot of people are afraid to go on from here. They don't know what to expect, where it's going to lead them. Is it heresy? Is it deception? No, it's in the Word of God. Very clearly, in the Word of God. They got to the River Jordan, and it was in flood. How did they get across? And so they've got their first problem, you know? And there is a flood. Sometimes keeps us out of the promised land. It can be a flood of apathy, fear, unbelief. That's a flood comes upon us. And when we're seeking to move on into this new we're going to have a flood that comes against us of unbelief, uncertainty. But we have to press through that. Because if you want to walk, walk into a new day, you have to get past all of those things and say, I've come this far. I'm not going to turn back like the children of Israel. We're going to go on into that. And so they get to the River Jordan and it's in flood. They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. So what do they do? Well, it's going to take faith to make the first step. Do you make the first step into this new day, into this new realm, into this new age, the rest will be easier. It's making that first step and deciding what I've got is not enough. There's much, much more for me out there. I'm not going to die in my present state and make it to heaven. I want to go further before I make it to heaven. You've got to make a decision and a choice. And this is where they were. And so in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. The cloud is moving. They had to get out of their comfortable position, everything they've known up to this point, and follow the cloud into a new day. It takes a change in our mindset. And so they looked at this, and he said, well, you've got to get out of your tents now and follow the ark. When you see the ark move, the cloud is moving. Then he said this, okay, but this is the way it's done. He said, in Joshua chapter 3, 4, there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits. The measure, 2,000 cubits, speaks of 2,000 years. There will be a measure. See, 
Jesus was the first one to enter into what we're talking about, walking in the earth. It was 2,000 years later. There shall be a space. And he said, okay, and uh, know the way, come near, you crossed over, come near to it, that you might know the way by which you must go. For you have not gone passed over this way before. We always want what we're familiar with and comfortable with. But Joshua said, you have no idea what you're getting into. You have not passed this way before. It's going to be very, very different to everything we have ever known. But they said, okay, we'll go. This is the second generation, not the first. The first generation died in the wilderness. You've not passed this way before. He said, okay, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. In other words, prepare yourselves. Straighten out your lives. Get right with God. Walk with the Lord. There's a fresh new level of dedication needed for this. Fresh new level. You know, Paul said to Timothy, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold but of, and silver, but vessels of wood and earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. You've got to get out of that. You've got to be a vessel of honor, ready for the master's use, you know? So Joshua said, sanctify yourselves. And then Timothy went on to say, flee youthful lust, but follow righteousness and faith and love and peace with a pure heart. See, that's what he's requiring of us. And so they got right there. So Joshua said, in Joshua 3.11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the, Lord, of the Lord passes before you into Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men out of the tribes of Israel and out of every, man a tri uh, every tribe a man, and it shall come to pass. Now, listen to this. The river's in flood, right? Now, right, that's where we are now. We're not sure if this is going to be safe, where we're going. We're not sure if we're going to be deceived, right? People think like this. And what if this is not God? You've got to listen to your own heart, okay? And they said, the, it's in flood. How are we going to get across? You know, it came to pass. So, and it shall come to pass in verse uh, chapter 3, 13, it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of your feet that I barely are touched the water. He says, as soon as the souls of the feet of Christ that bear the ark of the Lord of the whole earth shall rest in the waters, Jordan, that the water Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above and they shall stand up on a heap. So he's saying, when you make the first step, there's a barrier, fear, unbelief uncertainty but he said that it's a flood of these things coming against you but when you make the first step the flood will dry up it takes a step of faith to move into it and he said the river will dry up and uh, you know he said remove from your tents and get out and follow the eye that's remove from that which you're really comfortable with all right and so it says in Joshua 3.15, And they bear the ark, they that bear the ark, were came to Jordan, and the feet of the priests bear the ark, were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overflowed its banks all the time of harvest. 
this was also a harvest time. And it says, the waters which came down from above stood up, rose up upon a heap very far from the city a place at a place called Adam. Wow. That is beside Zeratan. And those that came down towards the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed right over on dry ground. It's very, very interesting. Something happened upstream. Probably, you know, landslide or something jammed up the river. The minute the soles of their feet touched into the water, it stopped upstream. That's how faith works. Stopped upstream. Well, it stopped from a place called Adam. Moving into this place removes the whole of the Adamic nature from us. We move into the fullness of, of Christ in us. The new creation man. Adam falls away. The Adamic nature falls off. As soon as their feet touch the water, you've got to make the first step. And it's a decision. You want all of what God has for you in the days that lie ahead of us. You know, the Bible tells you, and I'll talk about this tomorrow, but God chose you specially to be born in this generation. It's written about in the Word of God, especially for this generation. So, let's make the most of it. Things are going to open up that have not opened to previous generations. Hallelujah. So the river was dammed up in a place called Adam. The flow here is the flow from Adam through the human race finishes there. And we walk in the new creation man in its fullness. Two, things, two other things stopped that when they got into the promised land, the manna stopped. There was no more manna. And the pillar of fire went out wasn't there anymore in the promised land. They just disappeared. Now that was a major change. 40 years I've known this, you know, like a long time. Cloud was always there. The pillar of fire was always with them. They got into the promised land and where's it gone? The pillar of fire has gone out. We're left on our own going to seem a bit like that at first. See, the manna fell from heaven. And they, you know, it's interesting in that manna, even though they were in the wilderness, it, the Bible tells us their clothes never wore out. I mean, you know, their shoes never wore out. Sorry, lady, but they had the same shoes as they came out with. They <laughs> never. And, and the Bible says there was not one feeble person among them. They were fit and healthy. But there was much, 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 much more. He said, get into the promised land and you'll get your food directly for yourself from heaven. It's a whole new ball game. It's a whole new day. Now, this whole journey happens inside of you. Get it? It's not happening out there. The giants are not out there. 
they're in here. The whole journey happens on the inside of you. You think, oh, well, how can that be? Well, you know, the whole journey happens on the inside of you, but the choices you make are made by your soul. Which way are you going to go? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Holy of holies is your spirit. Body, soul, and spirit, out of court, in a court, holiest of all. Now, there are three things that must be in place in our lives as we cross over. And if we want to win this battle, the giants, which are not out there, they're in here. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> That's where they are. No. Because if we, get the, if we win on the inside, that stuff on the outside will be a cinch. It won't be a problem. We'll walk as Jesus walked on this earth. It won't affect us. We'll just remove it. But the inside is where the battle takes place first. <laughs> yeah, the whole journey happens there. The three things that happens that have to be in place. One is faith. Faith. You've got to make the first step. Faith requires faith. When I first began to move in the word of knowledge, it was in the charismatic move. I would listen to other people making words of knowledge and, think, and people who were very skilled at it. And I said, Lord, you know, I, I've got a very large church and I need to move in the word of knowledge. He said, well, go ahead. Standing at there looking at it, several thousand people thinking, how do I go ahead? He said, close your eyes. Close my eyes. He said, what came to your mind? Speak it out. I said, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> how many? God will often start you with a blind person than they do with a person with a headache. And the word of knowledge began to flow. I mean, like, I thought, that is easy. No longer I, you know. I even could give the name sometimes of their doctor. The word of knowledge, it was easy. But it took a step of faith. You've got to get out of the boat before you can walk on water. Now, Choices are made in so. So faith is re involved. We have to walk in faith. Faith, the second thing you have, have to walk in is there is faith. There is you have to come into rest. And the third level is control of your speech. I'll explain that a bit later. But these three things are important. Faith, rest, and the way you speak. It takes faith to decide you're going to move on and leave behind everything you've known, but move on. Sure, the things we've learned in the past, we take them on board, and that's, but there's more. And so we move on into the more. And uh, it's unknown territory. You know? It's like the charismatic move. I was brought in a, up in a Pentecostal church, Assembly of God church. I was born again in Assemblies of God church. My father and, and brought up my 
one of my uh, uh, no cousins put one of my grandfathers was a preacher in the Welsh revival, and um, two of my my family got very old preaching the gospel. Two of them, and just said as he preached his sermon, he put down his head, began to pray, and went to be with the Lord. Two of them do that, so I never put my head down. <laughs> Some things are hereditary, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that's the kind of background I was brought up in. My mother was a godly person. You know, spirit-filled Salvation Army officer. And uh, until they met, you know, at a whole new Pentecostal whole realm. And that's the kind of background I had. It, you know, it was well. That's how I was brought up. And we come to the charismatic move. I was brought up in the Pentecostal church, came to charismatic move, and I, by default, was handed the pastorship of a church. Didn't want it, but the pastor resigned and took off somewhere. And so, and I was very young, they said, Neville, you must pastor this church until we find someone capable of doing it. Now, that's very encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> I said, you've got to be kidding. We want to be missionaries. I'll, you know. Anyway, they couldn't find anybody. So I got it by default. And in the first year, a thousand people were saved. But the charismatic move is different. You see, it was so different, most of those Pentecostal ministers, not all, couldn't handle it. The, the Pentecostal minister who led me to the Lord and became my pastor, when the charismatic move came in, it was so different, the worship was so different, they even brought trum drums into the church. It was so different. But most of those Pentecostal pastors of that era never made it over. They were good men, but never made it over. They couldn't handle the change. It's so different to what they had known and brought up with. We are right there again. We're right there on this change again. It's that critical of where we are. And so, it takes some courage and it takes faith. You know, Derek Prince came on the scene casting out demons. I want to tell you, he nearly ruined my church. It <laughs> Have you heard of casting out demons out of your elders? I had to cope with that. I had to find a theology for that. Demons cannot inhabit your spirit, but they can enter areas of your body and soul, even though you're a born-again Christian. Many of the, the diseases that Christians have are demonic spirits that have to be cast out. Spirits of blindness, deafness. So what's the problem? Your spirit is safe, born again. Nothing can touch that. 
And so this whole movement of deliverance came. We would have a hundred people at a time casting out demons. We'd have a midweek service just to clean the congregation up, casting their demons out. <laughs> we had hippies. Most of our converts were hippies. Uh, born again. And they, but they were demonized. <laughs> they were on drugs. And they were, you know, living with partners. I mean, it was, you know, 60s, 70s. You know what it was like. We had to get them all cleaned up. We said, okay, we'd take, we'd take a, you know, 100 at a time, take them into a special room uh, in a midweek service, and we'd clean you up. We'd cast all the demons up. Many of them became missionaries, pastors, still are across the world. It's time of change. It's right upon us. And it's going to be hard for some of you who've been in Pentecost for a long time to make the change. But it's here. Remember, 10 of them came back, preached the wrong message. The other two said, no, we can go there. Hallelujah. So, you know, faith, but also rest. Let me say something to you. If you do not come into rest, you cannot move in the spirit. It's as simple as that. You cannot clearly hear from God. And you know, in the day and age we, which we are living in, it's very hard to come into rest. Do you agree with me? Everything's wanting our attention. There's everything all around us. Face the giants. That's one of the giants you have to face is fear. You've got to overcome that giant. What if this is not of God? What if I'm being deceived? What does this mean to my ministry? If, if I'm a pastor, oh, will half my congregation leave? Where is this going to take me? You've got to kill that giant of fear. There are giants in the promised land, and you've got to take them out. And the promised land is on the inside. Take them out. You're going to face the giants. Oh, you are the land. Joshua said, we're well, well able to go in and take out those giants. That's our attitude. If God be with us, who can be against us? You were born for this in this generation. Don't mess it up now. The promised land. You see, in Hebrews 3, 8, it says, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Don't harden your hearts. When our fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works for 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart because they have not known my ways. And then he said this, I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Ah. Now he's talking about getting into the promised land. And he said the promised land is a place of rest. Take heed, brethren, he said, lest there be any evil heart of unbelief coming into 
rest. He called the promised land a place of rest. How many of you know this is really hard? Particularly in this modern day and age. It's like we have everything. We've got TV, we've got music, we've got iPhones, we've got people texting. Never ends. I mean, my phone never stopped texting when I was here. I turned the thing off. It's like, what? You know, one thing that Enoch said to me, he said, the kind of world you live in is different to the kind of world that I lived in, except we had to face different things. But he, he said, yours is a different world. And I said, and he said, you must do this. And I said, what? He said, at least one hour a day, you must shut everything down, shut all noise, music, everything else, and sit quiet for one hour each day. And I said, nah, and, and I said, okay, um, it can go beyond that, of course, but this is a start, one hour. You're not thinking about anything, you're just quiet. You can do it outside, you can do it inside, but no distraction. And I said, why? He said, because you need to be reset every day. And I thought, wow, we get so hyped up. He said, you have to be reset every day in the quietness and let your whole system come down. There remaineth a rest, you see, for the people of God. Rest. You see, the Feast of Tabernacles was held on the Sabbath, and it speaks of rest. And this rest is important because the, our minds are one of the last frontiers to be redeemed. One of the last frontiers is our mind to be redeemed. And I'll explain that a bit later, but, you know, so the promised land was called their resting place. It was, a, it was something they walked in a rest. It was different. Accessed by faith. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9, he said this, There remaineth a rest to the people of God. Wow. And Paul wrote that about 50 years after the early church was birthed. In other words, they hadn't yet, even in the early church, entered into that kind of rest. Or he wouldn't be writing to them. He said, there remains a rest for you. And this was about 50 years later. Of the early church would come into existence. The early, the early church, obviously not everyone entered into that rest. So why is that rest so important? See, in order for you to function in the realm of the Spirit and in an open heaven... Be conscious of the Lord walking with you daily, in you, through you, with you, alongside you, or next to you in the car. You have to be at rest. That's not being inefficient. It's a state of mind, rest. And you've got to work at that because, believe me, it's not easy. Uh, it's a last frontier, you know? And... Uh, you have to come into rest and peace. You know, one of the saints once said to me, he said, you know, 
he said, busyness will lead to barrenness. I said, boy, yes, okay. <laughs> I write that in my diary. But it's true. You know, when Solomon dedicated the temple, you know, first it was on the Feast of Tabernacles. That's very significant. Because what happened in Solomon's temple is happened when we come into the Feast of Tabernacles in the new land. You see, we into this next phase, what happened in the Feast of uh, on the Solomon's temple is going to unfold. See, we've all said, oh, that, you know, the glory of the Lord came down. Yeah, it did. But this was in the Feast of Tabernacles. It wasn't in Pentecost. It was on the Feast of Tabernacles. So, in Second Chronicles 5.13, it came to pass as the trumpets began and the singers were, were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising the Lord, thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with their trumpets and cymbals and instruments and music and all of that stuff, the house was filled. You are the house of the Lord. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to understand that the glory filled the temple. The glory filled the temple. That's you, the house of the Lord. So the priest could not stand to minister because of reason of the glory cloud that filled the house. And it was on the first on the Feast of Tabernacles, the promised land. Secondly, you are the temple. God wants to fill with glory. And that comes from your spirit in such a way that it emerges through your soul and, that, and finally into your physical body. The glory of the Lord. So he fills the temple. The whole of the temple is filled with the glory of the Lord. And, uh, you know, rest coming into rest, coming into peace. They were of one accord. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'm not sure if everybody was playing the same notes or what, but that was a, a picture. They were one accord, praising the Lord, and so on. Let me just say that, you know, everything in God's Word has seven levels. When your mind is in one accord with your spirit. You will ask what you will, and it shall be done. And the house will start to be filled with the glory of the Lord. You see, your, your spirit walks in another realm, different realm to you, your physical body, right? He, he doesn't live in time and space. He, he's, you know, he's spirit. Your inner man is spirit lives in this different dimension where time and space does not exist, okay? But he is limited to your body. Now, when your mind and your spirit agree, the heavens open, the ve a veil comes down, and a whole new realm opens up to you. But this is the problem where, where the problem begins. They were all in one accord, you see, Body, soul, and spirit have to be in one accord. Your soul has to come into rest. Your mind, your emotions, and your will coming into rest. Lining up with your spirit. Your spirit is connected to God. You see? And heaven 
connected to God, heaven, the spirit realm, and is at rest. Now your soul has to come into that place. When your soul comes into rest in agreement with your spirit, your body will begin to be start to be transformed. This is what came out of that scroll, you know, I took from. You will start to be transformed. One accord, mind, emotions with your physical body. When your spirit and mind agree and they're in one accord, that's another level, you know, of the word of God. There are two main veils that stop you from accessing the spiritual world realm. One is the veil of unbelief that shuts you out. The veil shuts you out accessing that because it requires always. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So unbelief will shut down a veil in you. And the other veil that can shut you down is restlessness. You not haven't come into rest and peace. No matter what's happening around you. In this world we live in, it's crazy. You've got to come down a bit. Chill out. Come into rest. Still another day tomorrow. Peace. No matter what's happening around you. These are the giants in the land that you have to overcome. One of the giants in the land is your restlessness up here. And your unbelief. You've got to kill that giant. And only you can do it. But you're well able. Joshua said, we're well able to do this. Come on. You know, it was the, the veil of unbelief. It was what stopped Israel recognizing that Jesus was the Messiah. It's true. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.14, Their minds were blinded until the day, this day remaineth a veil, which is not, has never been taken away yet. And he's talking about the Jewish people. But it also talks about us today. The veil. In your reading of the Old Testament, this veil is done away with in Christ. But he said, but in, until this day when Moses read, the veil is still upon the hearts of the Jewish people. It is amazing that the scribes and Pharisees have been looking for the Messiah for hundreds of years. And when he turned up, they didn't recognize him. Unbelievable. Because it wasn't what they thought it should be like. And it said there was a veil across their mind of unbelief. And that veil of unbelief shuts us out from the spiritual realm. You know, you start moving in the spirit and you start thinking like this. Is this me? Is this real? Or am I just doing this? Doesn't matter if you're just doing it. At least you're trying. You'll get it right. God loves people who try and try hard and keep on trying. He loves them. But it says their minds were blinded even unto this day, and there remaineth the same veil that's untaken away. But that's true of us Christians too, you see. Unbelief. Now, 
in Isaiah 32, verse 17, it says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of this shall be quietness and assurance forever. So that's coming back down into this place of quietness, assurance, rest. You know, your mind, have you, ever, you know what your mind's like. You start to pray and you think, well, I need to pray. And you, you pray for a while and then suddenly your mind's way off somewhere else. Right? You, if you're like me, you know, your mind goes, you got to pull it back in. It takes discipline. It takes practice. You know? Meditation is a good thing. It's not new age. Meditation is a good thing. You need to get quiet before the Lord and meditate on the Lord. Look unto Jesus. How do you look unto Jesus? He says, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. How do you do that? You shut your eyes and see him in the mind's eye. And that which you focus on, you will connect with. That's a Lord of the spirit realm. You can do it. Then you say, oh, was that real? We all have that problem. We've all had that problem. Is it me? Well, there's no one else. It has to be you. <laughs> you know? But it should be you doing the right thing. So you move into that realm. You focus. That was one of the first principles the Lord taught me. What you focus on, you will connect with good or bad. <laughs> right. So the battle is in the mind. There are veils, unbelief. The work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of that shall be quietness and assurance forever. So you go through a day, and your mind has been everywhere, and you're busy, you're at work, you're doing these things. Come home, put some time aside, and be quiet, and get a reset. You know how you get a reset on your computer? Well, get a reset up here. Don't do anything. Don't go think of anything. Just be quiet. If music helps you with that, but be very careful. That's the right kind of music and very low, 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 low key. Music you can carry you. It has a, has a power to carry you into places. So you have to be careful with it. But if you can just be quiet, close down, shut down, just be quiet. You don't have to pray. Just be quiet. Reset. And if you, you, it's easier if you do that every day than you let it go for months and months, you know, when this, this whole thing builds up within you. So the battle is in, in, in the areas of mind. So in quiet resting places, this is you. That's where we have to live. We have to come into rest. You say, well, things are going wrong. Okay. The Lord is with you, right? He's in you, is he? Okay, things are going wrong. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. He's in control because you deliberately put him in control. <laughs> and say, Lord, I, this is something I can't handle, I can't deal with. It's all yours. And he'll give you answers. 
You've got to stop, surrender. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Reset. You know? And it, it's, it's like something you have to do in this world we're living in now. You know, when it comes to our soul, an everyday requirement, you know, we ha need to keep the slate clean in our lives, right, before the Lord. We need to keep things clean be in, in before the Lord. But, you know, there's a daily thing. Your mind, your emotions, your imagination, your memory, you know. And it was like Jesus wanted to wash Peter's feet. Remember that? And Peter said, no, you're not going to do that. Oh, you're not going to wash my feet, you know. Thou shalt never wash my feet, John 13, 8. And um, Jesus said, okay, but if I wash not your feet, you have no part in me. Wow, that's a bit tough. John 13, 9, Simon Peter said in him, okay, Lord, not my feet only, but wash my hands and wash my head. <laughs> no, Peter was like that. <laughs> Jesus said, whoa, no. He that washed doth need not save to wash his feet. Just let me wash your feet and you'll be clean all over. And I thought, okay, what's that about? You know, what is that about? Well, our feet is a picture of the part of us that touches this earth. Our feet are on the earth. You know, when you go through a day, there's all kinds of stuff hits your mind, your eyes, that can pollute, you know? We've got to be honest with this. You see something, you hear something, you think something which you shouldn't be thinking, and all this pollution, you imagine something you shouldn't be imagining, and then it sticks in our memory banks and can be replayed. So you get to the end of the day, you've gone through this world which is in chaos, you walk down the road, come on you guys, and you see a, a cladded, a scantily clad woman, your eyes hit her because you don't know what's coming around the corner, but the image goes there. Come on, you guys, you know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> it's there, and it's gone into your memory banks. At the end of the day, said your feet, you've touched the earth, you just need to wash wash it out. So let me wash it out of you. It's nothing you do with your heart. This is the world we touch. And it's like, okay, um, it's a, we must daily do this. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I do anyway. I say, Lord, I want you first of all to cleanse my mind. Cleanse my memories that are not right in your mind and heart, I don't want those memories. Cleanse my imagination. Remove everything that's ungodly or not of you. Cleanse. Cleanse my mouth. If I've spoken things I shouldn't have. And purify my heart. If my motives are not right, I'm sorry, purify my heart. You must do that every day. It's like the Lord washing your feet. You've gone through a day and you've picked up the pollution. 
You see, Jesus and Peter said, oh, no, you wash all. And he said, you don't need to be washed everywhere, just the parts that touch the earth. It's, you've gone through this day, and it clings to you. You know what I mean? It just clings to you. So, you say, oh, okay. You've got to do that daily. Cleanse your mind, your memories, your imagination. And so, that's part of the process. Cleanse your heart, your brain cells. And rest in the foundation. You know, true rest and peace is found in un finding out, it comes by knowing what God is really like. One, he said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Secondly, he never stops loving you. You can be, no matter what situation you find yourself in, God doesn't stop loving you. He is good. God is good. God is good. He is kind. And he's with you. You need to know, no matter what you're going through, that God is good. He knows what's going on. And he is with you. And so peace can come. You can be settled in that. We might not, you might not know the future, how this thing's going to turn out, but God is in control because you put him in control. You have to do these things. And they have to be, you know, daily things. You know, Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for them who love God. Most Christians don't believe that. Or they do. They say, oh, yes, I believe that. But they don't really, because when things go wrong, they don't believe it anymore. <laughs> All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purposes. You say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? And they do. Where's God in that? Well, you have to come back to the, the baseline. God is good. He knows what you're going through. These things have happened. But in the end, you will see there is a redemptive purpose in it all. I lost a daughter in a car accident, age 22, 21. You know, and you say, why, Lord? Why? 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 You know, why? There's always a why. But God knows what he's doing. You know, sometimes God needs people on the other side more than he needs them here. And sometimes God needs seed. And he only takes the good seed. Why do the good die young? You know the series? <laughs> he only takes good seed plant. See, no matter what's happening, God is good, he's in control, and he has a purpose in it. That should bring you back down into rest. See, my daughter knew she was going to die. She left a message of how the funeral should be taken, even written down, the songs that were to be sung. 
he was needed on the other side. And you know, you say, well, what, why does God, how, if God is so good, why, does, why did he invent hell? He didn't invent hell, we did. You see, well, you say, well, Brother Neville, I, I don't know about this God. I mean, if a person has never heard the gospel, are you telling me they're going to go to hell? say no this is the light that lighted every man that cometh into this world the bible says people who have never heard the gospel will have a confrontation with the lord immediately after that they die justice would never play out you've never heard the gospel so you're going to hell does that sound like god so there must be an alternative thing I believe in hell. Hell is real. All those things are real. But God is a just God. He's a good God. This is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into this world. We would be surprised how many people the Lord appears to, unsaved people, the Lord appears to at the point of death. Millions of them. It doesn't take away from missionary work or anything else. They, like, they come into the kingdom, but on a much lower level. Lower level. The, the hell is real, believe you me. It said the wicked shall be cast into hell. But God is good. God is good. I saw these, pe these kids once. I stood in the part of heaven watching these young people streaming into heaven. Oh, 18, 19, 20, 25-year-old streaming into heaven and I, I said to this angel what is this who are they he says th he said these are Islamic children they haven't reached the age of accountability and they've never heard the gospel but they're mine and we'll teach them here train them prepare them I thought wow that is a great deal see you but I said Lord some of these could be even in their 20s. He said the age of accountability in different culture, in cultures differs. The age of accountability in our Western world is much lower than it is in some of the worlds where the gospel of Jesus' name has never been heard of. See, God is good. Don't get me wrong. The wicked will be cast into hell. No doubt about that. And hell is real. I've only I ever once had, a, had an experience with hell. You, I believe you me, you don't want to go there. I woke up like I was in a nightmare. And uh, it's real, but God still is good. See, if you don't believe that, you've lost everything. If you don't believe it, you've lost everything. And Paul talks about the age of accountability. He talked about that in the New Testament. When a child comes to an age of accountability, then they're accountable to God. God is good. You've got to trust him. You cannot come into rest unless you really, really believe God is good and he knows what he is doing with you. 
Nobody gets through life unscathed. Nobody. Things go wrong. You know, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. If he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, but the Lord will uphold him with his hand. Right? Now we strive for righteousness. We need to walk in righteousness, particularly in this day and age. And God has a plan. He sent you here to fulfill. He predestinated you to be here. See? Now, everybody wants to be an overcomer, right? But to be an overcomer, you have to have something to overcome. <laughs> Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Look at Job. He was the most righteous man in his day in the world, in his age. And look what happened to him. Man, lost his wife, he lost his kids, he lost his health, he lost all of his animals. And it's very interesting because it, it would appear that this whole process lasted nine months in Job's, in his life. Lasted around nine months. And, um, you know, we wouldn't want to go through what Job went through, would we? And, you know, God really triggered this thing off because he said to the devil, have you seen my servant Job, how good a man he is and all of this? So that kind of was a trigger for the devil to come back and say, yeah, but if you do this and do this, he's going to curse you. Even his wife told him to curse God and die. Hey, a good wife, isn't it? But <laughs> Nine months later, period of birth, pregnancy, nine months later, he comes out of that with twice as much as he ever had. And a whole new family. Daughter's fairest in the land. You see, there are times in your life when God will take down the protection in your life and expose you to something which he wants you to overcome. Because when you overcome something, your authority comes to another level. Nobody escapes this. Some level, you're all, all going to face this. I mean, this is pretty radical with him. Joseph, at the age of 18, was sold. You know, he's a, a good man. The promises from God, dreams, sold by his brethren into slavery. You know, he's in slavery now, and then he ends up in jail. And he's thinking, God, what happened to that dream you gave me? Where did that go? But when his time was up, he held his position. He kept serving God in the hardest conditions. Kept serving God. He was brought out of prison and became the second highest person in the land of Egypt. And he actually said this. He said, God, I have made, I have, he said to his brethren, I have been, I am God unto Pharaoh. 
He said that. He said, I am, I am God unto Pharaoh. You think, oh, that's blasphemy. I tell you now, you people have got to become God unto the rest of this world. Christ in us is the only hope for the rest of this world. With all of the authority that he is and has, God has a plan for you to fulfill it. And he said, I went through all of these times of hardship and struggle in order that I would be able to save much people alive. That's what he said. You go through times and testings and struggles. It's not easy to get into where we're going. The enemy will, will do everything he can to stop you moving on. There'll be conflict. But you've got to have a determination. God is good. We're going into the new. We're going to have glitches. That's all right. We'll keep going. And you're going to break out into a whole new day that's unbelievable in walking with God. And so, you know, we are going there. God is a good God. You have to come into peace. And that peace comes by knowing God, all things are working together for good. Because you love God, called according to his purposes, everything that's happening in your life is working together for you, for good. Good, good, it's good. You're growing. And you go through those times in peace, knowing that God is in control. And that peace then becomes a part of who you are. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We take on one of those attributes. We actually become peace. It expands out of us wherever we go. You know, the devil cannot handle peace. He doesn't know what to do with it. It's like, okay. You know... You know, I once heard this parable, and it, it was about this demon who was sitting on the curbside crying. And he was crying outside of a church, and he was crying. And this man comes along and says, oh, why are you crying? He said, well, all those people in there blame me for everything. <laughs> That's what it's like. We blame the devil for everything. How many of you, the, the Lord will allow sometimes the enemy to oppress you. This is a birthing process, and it's a strengthening process, and, and it, it's a graduating process, one after the other. <laughs> you know, the Song of Solomon, preparing a bride, right? That's what the Song of Solomon is about. And Song of Solomon 4.12 says, Garden encloses my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Your plants are orchids and pomegranates and pleasant fruits and spikenard, saffron, calamus, cinnamon, all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and low, and the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters and streams of Lebanon, Life couldn't be any better, right? 
path. Then says, okay, that's where you are, and life is good. He said, awake, O north wind. Well, that didn't sound so good. Awake, O north wind, come south, blow upon your thy garden, so that the spices thereof may flow out, and let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. Now, the north wind in, in Israel is a very cold wind. My wife and I were in Israel in 1972-3, during the Yom Kippur, just after the Yom Kippur War, and we were in a hotel looking over the Mount of Olives. And I looked out of the window one day, and there's snow on the ground. And I thought, we're in the Middle East, and there are camels walking in snow. <laughs> this it doesn't seem right. <laughs> and so I said to one of the people in the hotel, you know, what is this? He said, oh, it's the north wind. Comes down from Europe in the north and sweeps down and brings snow. I said, oh, okay, the north wind. Awake, oh, north wind, come, blow upon my garden that the spices may come out and flow out and let my beloved then come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruit. There'll be times when the north wind will blow. Why? Because he wants the fruit to develop in your life. And it was that cold north wind that came. And the north wind will blow and it'll be, you're trying to come into rest and everything will go wrong. That's the only way you'll learn to come into rest. There's no easy formula. It's a process. You'll overcome and then it's part of who you are. Peace requires trust in the nature of God. In 2010, have we got a little more time? Okay, 2010, uh, I had a prophetic experience. It was more an interactive vision or trance. It's hard to describe. And um, it was during the first part, this, this, this setting was during the first part of the Antichrist reign in the earth. Okay. And I thought, okay. You know, there's a teaching that goes around, we're all going to be raptured before the Antichrist comes on the scene. That ain't true. You'll be around. Why should you be told not to take the mark of the beast if you're not going to be here? Come on. <laughs> you know. So... It was the first part of the Antichrist reign in the earth, in this setting. And it was so vivid, this thing that happened to me was so vivid. I saw many Christian communities, many. Some housed Jewish refugees, uh, Christians were helping them, leading them to the Lord. Others were just Christian communities. Some were large, some were small, some were just households. Um, some were fortresses of truth. And light was coming out of them, unbelievable. And, and I think they were just fortresses of truth. It was a kind of a community, but they weren't big communities. But light was coming out supernaturally. And um, however, there was one thing in common to them all. And that is they were covered with a dome of light. And I thought, wow, that's cool. Um, 
dome of life, which appeared translucent. You could see through it. And I said, Lord, what are these domes? And it was, this was so real. I don't know if I was in a trance. I wasn't asleep but or vision, but it was real as I'm talking to you now. And so I thought, wow, they were all covered in a dome of light. These domes, I said, Lord, what is this? He said, these domes are the covering of my blood. And he looked at me and said this. He said, you know, my blood is no longer red, but it is white. Ah, scientists are getting to the bottom of this, you know. There's a lot of scientific evidence that states that um, red blood is... is congealed light when Adam walked this earth he didn't walk in red blood he walked in light it powered him light flowed through him only after his sin did his blood turn red and nearly all Jewish um, theologians believe that I don't know quite where they get it from but they believe it but there's scientific evidence now for this. And Jesus said this to me, these domes are the covering of my blood. And he looked at me and said, my blood is no longer red, it's light. And I thought, wow, did Adam actually walk in that? I thought of the children of Israel, you know, in the 10 plagues. Here was Egypt being decimated by hail and flies and plagues and stuff. And the children of Israel were in Egypt and it's and, 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 and right in Egypt, and it never touched them. You know, it was like, like Psalm 91. He that dwelleth under the covering of the Almighty. It shall not come near you. You'll see what the thousand shall fall at your side. We have no idea of the plagues that are coming on this earth. A thousand shall fall at your side, but they shall not come near you because you're walking in peace and you are covered. And I, I began to watch this. And the Lord said to me, well, tell my people they will not survive the end times unless they have a protection of peace as a covering. I thought, whoa, okay. Then I thought, okay. The children of Israel had their ten plagues, and uh, the, uh, Egypt had the ten plagues, but children of Israel were in a place called Goshen. It never came near them. The angel of death, nothing came near them. Then I watched a man outside of the dome, and he tried to walk into it, and he just bounced off it. And I thought, you know, okay, that was fun. Then I saw this. A man was walking with this dome around him when it collapsed. The dome around him collapsed. And I knew this man was in great danger. And I saw this happen to just a few people. I said, Lord, what is this happening? Why is this happening? He said, their covering collapsed because they lost their peace. I thought, okay. My people will not survive the end times unless they continue to walk in the protection of peace. He said, I will sever 
Exodus 8:22. I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end that day you might know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth, and I will put a division, a difference between my people and the other people. We have to overcome this giant of fear by planning our trust in the Lord. And I thought, oh, okay. And I thought, well, I wonder if I could walk through one of those domes. <laughs> you know, I'm always in quivered at it. And I got very close to this dome and I went. <laughs> and then I walked right through it. I saw a demon come up to it and bounce off it. I thought, well, it served you right. It's like. <laughs> You see, this was a real, and it lasted a long time, this, this whatever I was going through. And I thought, oh, okay, okay, the covering of the Lord. There's one other thing, and I'll just draw to a close, but there's one other thing, you know, that um, we need to do. And I had talked at length with Enoch over this, and... He said, you must take communion every day. Every day. You don't have to have a priest or a pastor to do it for you. Right. And I said, okay. But I've known this, but he was just reinferring this back to me. And, um, you know, taking communion is not just, you know, a symbol or an optional thing. It is a lot more than that. You know, many partake of the communion with bread and wine, and it's just symbols or emblems of the Lord's body. But, you know, Paul said and said, unless we understand the meaning and purpose of communion, we cannot and receive the benefits afforded by it. These benefits include no longer being weak and sickly and not dying prematurely. Okay, we've missed a lot in there. <laughs> First Corinthians 11, 23, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered, saying, This cup of the New Testament, in my blood, do this as often as you want in remembrance of me. Notice he didn't say the bread is a symbol. He said it was part of his body. Now, while the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, we don't believe in, it teaches that the bread literally comes the body of Jesus. We don't believe in that. But he said, when you bless, when he blesses something, there is an impartation, and what he blesses is changed. Right? He blessed the, the, the fish and the bread, and what happened? They start to multiply. Something changed within this fish and within the bread that kept them multiplying. So a life entered into them, right? Because he, he blessed them. See, Paul's clothing was bathed in light and anybody touched it. Wherefore, whosoever eateth and drinketh this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the blood and body of Jesus. Therefore shall a man examine himself so that he let him eat that bread and drink of that cup. Um, not for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh condemnation unto himself not discerning the Lord's body 
For this cause, many are sick and weakly, and many of you die. Now, what does that all mean? Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup unworthily. What does that mean, unworthily? It is a, a Greek word which means to take lightly without understanding. But it also has the, th has the thought of making a difference between that which is normal bread and that which is living bread, holy. Because they don't see that difference, they don't discern it properly. Now, I thought, okay, this is, this is good. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no real life in you. And I thought, wow. Most of his disciples left him at that point. They just couldn't handle it. But what did he mean, you see? What was he, what was he talking about? Jesus took the bread and blessed it. When Jesus blesses anything, life flows into it. And gave it to his disciples. This is the, you see, Jesus said, uh, John said in John 6, 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven. It's not like your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and you are dead. Now that manna was pretty important, right? It kept them alive all those years. But he said, it's not like that. He said, he that eateth this bread will live forever. I thought, well, yep, okay. There's going to be a generation who will not die physically. Whole generation of people. If you get this right, your health will change. You know? He said, all right, you've got to make a difference. You put your wine out. You put the bread out. You know, it can be any kind of drink. And some of the uh, South Sea Islands, they don't have wine, so they use coconut milk. So uh, that's not the issue. Okay. <laughs> Don't buy a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> this was, he said, you know, you bless it unless you eat it. He blessed it and broke the bread and gave it to them. Don't treat this as common bread. Know what you're doing. Joe and I, my wife, every morning we come together. And I usually get up before her because the house is quiet and I, and I have an hour or two maybe to myself. And then, then we have communion, right? So we have communion, we have communion wine, we have the bread, and I pray. I bless, I bless this bread and ask the Lord to bless the bread, impart life to it. I ask the Lord to change the frequency of this bread to the frequency of this is his body, living light. I ask him to bless this wine and change it to the same frequency of the life that flows through his veins. And we thank the Lord. I take that wine. I take that wafer. It is not, it is not common bread anymore. It is being blessed. It is holy. I eat that. And when I eat that, depending on what part of the body I'm concentrating on, I take that, I 
eat it and I see that life flowing to whatever part in my body I want regenerated. You have what you see. What you focus upon is real. You will connect with. You have to focus. You have to see it doing something. It's not just, okay, that's it for the day. No. You have to see it doing something. And what you see it doing will happen. That's how faith works. And, and I say, Lord, I say, this is your blood. I bless it. Impart life to it. I want it to be the same frequency as your blood. Change it to life. And then I say, your blood to my blood. Let my, my blood take this light to every cell in my body. Cleanse it, renew it, in Jesus' name. You need to do that every day. You need to do it every day. It's better than any tonic you can ever buy. Keep it clean. Oh, we're running out of time. That, you know, there's land in us. Rest is a state. Let me just say this. All matter, and I'll close with this, I promise I'll close with this. All matter has memory. All matter has memory. Everything I said tonight has been recorded by this pulpit, not just back there. <laughs> All matter. You know, Jesus said this in Luke 19, 40, uh, 19 and verse 40, and he that answered them and said, I tell you that if they should hold their peace, these stones will cry out in testimony against you. Well, testimony against you. Luke 9, 40, and he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these hold their peace, the stones will immediately cry out. Then... And uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 10. Thou hast consulted shame to your house by cutting off many people and sinned against your soul. He did something to his house. He, Habakkuk 2, 11, the next verse. For the stones now shall cry out of the walls of your house. Ooh. And the beam out of the timber. Woe unto him that buildeth a town with blood and establish a city with iniquity. And Joshua said in Joshua 12, 24, 27, Joshua said to the people, Behold, this stone, he said here, has heard everything we have said, heard all of the words of the Lord which he spoke, and it shall therefore be a witness to what has been said this day. Isn't that scary? Oh. You see, when you, when you got married and you got your wedding ring on and you said your vows, your wedding ring recorded everything you said. Now that's a scary thought. The walls of your house record. 
So, it's like we need to understand this. In the realm of the spirit, everything, this pulpit, everything we know is made of atoms, right? Things you can't see with the natural eye, they're so small. You know, but they're not solid, really. There's more space in this plastic than there is solid material. It's just that everything is spinning so fast on the inside, at the atomic level, it appears solid. That's that world, it's a world of quantum physics. You know, every sound, every color resonates as a particular frequency. Everything. Black has a frequency. The color of your carpet has a frequency, it has a voice. That's why, you know, in battleships, they use a particular red light in the battleships. Have you seen that? Because that red has a very low frequency, and you can't see it from very far. Because the frequency is so short, narrow. They can't see it. Everything has a frequency. Light has a frequency. You have a frequency. You resonate. We all resonate. The issue is, what are you resonating? Love is an incredible frequency. And color and smell. We'll touch on this a bit more tomorrow. But you need to, you know, understand this. When you change your wine, you pray about that wine, and it changes. It has a different frequency. It has a different resonance. You know, angels have a very high frequency. That's why you can't see them with your natural eyes. Unless they tone down their frequency, sometimes they will tone down your, their frequency, and you'll catch a glimpse of them. But to see them in their f full frequency, you have to see in the realm of the spirit. Sometimes they can appear without you seeing them in the realm of spirit, but they've dropped their frequency for that to happen. Their frequency is so high that you're not perceivable to us. And so sound has a frequency. You know, every channel has a different frequency. Music has a frequency. The bass has a frequency. You know, you put your hand on a bass and you feel the frequency. When you pray for that wine, you pray for that biscuit, you're asking God to change the frequency to his frequency, to his life. He emanates power, life, frequency. You constantly leave a trail. Every emotion you have comes out of you as a sound, a color, and a smell. We'll touch on this tomorrow, buddy, a bit, bit more. But you need to understand it. It's important that daily in our lives, we set a pattern according to his word and what he wants for us. We take communion. We take time to be quiet. We ask him to cleanse us every day, particularly your mind and your imagination. Stuff enters through the eyes be and you can't stop it all. It's just there in front of you. So it enters, enters through your eyes and through your ear. And it enters into memory. And it enters in as it's received as a memory and a picture. And sometimes a sound. And then it's there. You know, have you ever had sometimes you smell something and it brings back a memory? What is that? The memory triggered the the visual image. 
And that all stores up here. Clouds you out of the... And you say, Lord, every day cleanse my mind, my imagination. Cleanse my memory cells. Cleanse, cleanse. Wash it like your feet. Jesus washing your feet so that you, you start your day clean again. You don't have to clean your spirit. You're born again, but it clings to us, you know, on the outside. And so, entering the promised land takes faith, takes boldness, it takes resolve. It takes an understanding, say, the old is coming, it's finishing, there's a new day starting. And I believe it starts this year, starting this year. It starts, we have an entrance we didn't have before. And we've got to decide we are going to go there. We're going to go into the promised land. We're going to deliver. We're going to defeat fear. We're going to walk in peace. We're going to come into rest. We're going to take communion often as you can. And we're going to see God then begin to move in your life like never before. You know, the process of sowing and reaping is increasing like, like Dr. Bruce was saying. And so we have to be careful what we sow all the time, what we speak, because the time frame, it used to be maybe years before that came back to us, what we sowed, what we said. Now it's coming back in weeks. Eventually it'll come back in days. And what we sow, we shall reap almost instantly. We have to get that right. I was going to talk to you about quantum physics, but we don't have time for that tonight. But, you know, maybe I'll just tell you this one thing. <laughs> Five minutes. <laughs> you know, what you speak is a vibration. It's a frequency, right? Sound? It says life and death are in the power of the tongue. Wow. So everything you say produces sound, color, and, a lot, and frequency, and a smell. All your emotions produce that as well. Picked up in the spirit world just like that. You know, demons can pick up the vibration of fear from miles away. True. So, I want to talk to you about, you know, the Baxter, which what was called, became known as the Baxter Effect. This, this guy, Cleve Baxter, Baxter, headed the New York Institute of Polygraph work. So he's working with plants reactions. And he found this. He decided to, he would burn a leaf of a plant and see if he got a the, the strong polygraph reaction from it. And so he thought, okay. So he wired up this plant. I don't think these are real, but he wired up the plant. <laughs> Went over to this end of the room, away from it, and decided, I'm going to tear that plant to pieces. And by the time he, before he got to that plant, the plant reacted. The polygraph went off the scale. And it wasn't that he did anything. It was the intention of doing something 
that the plant picked up. Now, isn't that amazing? This was on the very tight controlled scientific facility. And so, wow, how did that work? He didn't actually burn the plant. He just thought he would. The plant reacted. But wow, it acted, reacted to the intent. Because intention, what you were intending to do, what you desire, releases frequency, sound, color, smell. In the realm of the spirit. So after long, careful clinical testing, he came to the conclusion that if plants will react, nature will react in a measurable way to the intent to harm it. Isn't that amazing? This became known as the Baxter effect. Now, we come to another that was called the brine dump experiment. The brine, like as in salt, the brine dump experiment. It involved a plant in one room over here with the door shut and another room further over there with the door shut, okay? Um, and so he both were separated separated and wirelessly wiped, lined up to the polygraph, wired to the polygraph, one that one there. Then in random acts, in one container, there were shrimps, alive shrimps, okay? In another container, there was boiling water, all right? So he would go over here, take one of the live shrimps out of the air, take it out here, drop it into the boiling water, died almost instantly. The whole tank of shrimps went berserk, wired up. They knew what had happened. Now, this is scientific, you know. This is not new age mumbo jumbo. This is scientific. Well, as soon as he dropped it into the boiling water, the photograph went off the scale. So, then in random acts, it like, it's, it's however. They found, okay, we'll wire up some plants as well. So you got your tank here of boiling water. You've got your fresh shrimp swimming around here. You've got this tank wired and you've got this plant in it. Comes along, drops the shrimp into it, it dies instantly. The polygraph on the plant goes off the scale. So, whoa. You know, these are not Christian. <laughs> the conclusion was that living things react to other living things for good or evil. However, now this is remarkable. If they had a plant and they, it had fruit on it and they took the fruit, the plant didn't react. None of the plants reacted in there, even though they were white, didn't react at all. That was okay. That's what they were supposed to do. If they came along and pruned them with the intent of making them better, pruned the plant, no reaction. That was for their good. So 
how did those plants know the intent of that person? How? How did they know that? The, these plants, it's very interesting now, and, and you know, they also found that plants subject to shock and hurt of other plants fared badly and often became diseased, the other plants. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> also, if they tried another experiment. They wired up the plant and the man cut his hand and blood fell onto the floor. And the plant went And of course, he's a hard, hard-line scientist, you know, that thought there's got to be a mistake in the system. No, they redid it over and over and over and over again. Some of the blood cells fell to the ground and died, and the plants picked them up. That's why, you know, God said in, in Genesis 4.10, and he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is speaking to me, crying unto me from the ground. What have you done? Wow. See, the whole of earth, this earth, is hurting, and, it, and it's, the, it's angry. It is waiting for the sons of God to arrive on the scene and love the nature back to its previous purpose which is to work with us in the battles that are ahead. I tell you, for we know that the whole creation groans and travaileth in pain unto now, Romans 8.22. And it says in Romans 8.20, for the creature was made subject to vanity or less than what God intended, a fallen state. Not willingly, we did it to them. Adam did that. Failed, they fell because they were under Adam. By reason of him who was subjected in hope. Creation has a hope. It's what it says. Reject in same in hope. Because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of the corruption into a glorious liberty. We're talking about creation needs deliverance into a glorious liberty of the children of God. And so the whole creation is groaning. You see the weather patterns. You see everything that's happening. The earth and world, it's angry. The whole environment is waiting for the sons of God to come forth, this generation. And it's going to work with us. If you want to have creation redeemed, you've got to love them back into this creation. They know you. They know what you're feeling. They know what your intent is. We have to change the way we look at things, look at life, look at creation. You say, well, what about you kill an animal for food? I asked the Lord about this once. You know, I'm not a vegetarian. <laughs> and I was out hunting one day, and I had this um, kangaroo in my sight. And we were hunting for one of my friend's dogs, and 
Yeah, but we would have some of it too. And I had this kangaroo in my sight, and I was thinking, Lord, I don't know about I, what You know, we need this. The dogs need it. We need it. And I said, well, you know. And the Lord said to me, Will, your intent, do you want that animal to become part of a high life form? I said, yeah, that's a good idea. I could eat him. <laughs> but the Lord was serious. That's exactly what I thought, what it came to me. Seems like the plant, when you took the fruit, it didn't react. When you pruned it, it didn't react. It's all of the intent of the heart. You see? And so... Man is creative, made in the image of God. The thoughts, the spoken words, everything. Words have consequences. God made, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Thou made him a little lower than Elohim, God. You leave leave a trail of life or death behind you wherever you go. That's why whatsoever things are good, Whatsoever things are kind, good report, so on. Think on those things. Clean yourselves out daily. Don't let them clog you up. Oh, you make mistakes, but you come right, you get dealt with, and you come back the next day. Spend some time, quietness, reset. This is, this is what Enoch told me, you have to reset. It'll build up. And it's hard to get rid of. I'm quiet. Take communion every day. Pray every day to cleanse your mind. Renew it. Your eyes. Your ears, what you hear. The mouth, what you speak. Your heart, your motives. Do that every day. And get rid of this, the stuff that clings to you from this world. You see, these things are not complicated. You just need to know how to do it. You're entering into a new day, a new way. You see, in in Solomon, the wisest man that walked this earth, he said, you were snared with the words of your mouth. What you say is what you have. You speak life or death. You think life or death. Your emotions are life or death. You see, a person in self-pity, the smell that comes up that person is really bad. If you're in the realm of the spirit, you can smell it. It's really bad. And the vibration is terrible. The color is dark. That's self-pity. That's how self-pity manifests itself in the realm of the spirit. And demons see that. closing. Remember the sons of Sceva? They said, you know, casting out demons and, and, and they said, you know, in the name of Jesus, we decided to cast these demons out of this guy. I asked the Lord to show me what was happening. It was really funny. These demons are around this guy and he's casting out demons, trying to cast them out. And um, this demon said, 
He says, it smell right. Something's wrong with these people. They don't smell right. The vibration is terrible. And I thought, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Yeah, he said, the vibration is smell. The color is even worse coming out of these guys. He said, these guys don't have authority with, over us. Let's beat them up. And so they did, and they ran naked down the street with these demons after him. Well, I laughed, and I laughed, and when I saw this, I thought, that's exactly how it is. They know you. They know what you're emanating. But the glory of the Lord is going to arise, arise and shine. He's going to come upon us. He rises within us with healing in his wings into a new day to reap the harvest of this world. This is your destiny. This is the new day. You can have it if you want it. You can go into it if you want it. You are a creator. Whether you like it or not, you leave a trail behind you every day, good or bad. Hallelujah. God bless you.